All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. This is episode two of our brand new season. And today we have an old friend of Mike's and myself, Kristen Mon. Kristen is the Director of Housing Development and Initiatives at the Tulsa Authority for Economic Opportunity. And we met her, Mike, right back at AHF Live. And you two were like two peas in a pod. Yep. We learned a lot about Tulsa and all the exciting things going on in the city. And uh, yeah, Kristen was a great educator. We had no desire to go to Tulsa before we met her. And within 24 hours, we were figuring out how we could invest in Tulsa. (laughs) And now we love it. And we're going to go there and be treated like king, she says just like everyone else who visits. Everybody, please enjoy. Please check out the note, uh, the show notes for ways to connect with Kristen. Um, and please rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful um, to spread the message. And please comment or and or send us questions or comments um, as we'd like to read them off sometime. So I appreciate you following and uh, talk to you soon. All right, Kristen Mon, what's happening? You are the Director of Housing Development and Incentives at the Tulsa Housing Authority for Economic Opportunity. What's happening in Tulsa today, Kristen? Thanks for coming on. Well, we are the, I'm going to correct you, it's the Tulsa Authority for Economic Opportunity. Oh, you got to change it. The your Tulsa name. Housing Authority is different. <laughs> You'll okay, likely so. have to correct oh. it more than once. Sorry. Let me try that again. <laughs> Kristen Mon, the from the uh, the director at the Tulsa Authority for Economic Opportunity, and we met Kristen at the AHF conference in November in Chicago, and Mike and I learned more than we ever thought was possible about the city of Tulsa and how wonderful it is. So, after this podcast, I think Kristen will be running, hopefully, for mayor of the city. <laughs> but all kidding aside, Kristen, thanks for coming on. And uh, how, how you been? It's been a couple months since we've seen you. I've been great. We've been doing a lot of work here at the Tulsa Authority for Economic Opportunity and Housing. Uh, we actually had a wonderful ribbon cutting today, not connected to housing, but uh, the new BMX facility in the city of Tulsa that includes their corporate headquarters. Oh, wow. And also includes the Sports Hall of Fame. So a lot of exciting things always happening in the city of Tulsa, as I told you about a lot (laughs) at the conference. How was that conference? Did you find, are you there seeking to partner with developers to come into Tulsa? Is that the purpose? We were definitely there to reach out to developers who might be interested in housing opportunities in Tulsa and in Oklahoma. I think that the city of Tulsa is pretty special when it comes to the availability of housing resources, because you don't just have what we have with the, you know, Oklahoma Housing Finance Agency, like the LIHTC, Um, but then you don't just have the Tulsa Housing Authority's resources like Section 8 PBBs. You additionally have the resources that we create at TAO through our economic incentives like the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, our Downtown Development Redevelopment Fund, our TIF districts. So it was really an opportunity that we wanted to let people know if you're interested in developing affordable housing in the city of Tulsa, there's just a multitude of resources that can be layered. 
and I think a really supportive environment for it. You just listed also, a few things. A, I didn't... It was great education. <laughs> yeah, it was. There was a lot of people there. You just listed a number of things that I don't really know what they are. The TIF district, the trust fund, <laughs> a few other things. Could you, would, would you, I mean, I'd love to hear more about what, the, what those things are and how they yeah. help. So I think something that is unique, we did. Uh, so my organization, Teo, that I work for as director of housing development and incentives, launched on July 1st. And we are actually a merger of five different economic and community development organizations in Tulsa. So anyone who's tried to navigate economic development knows that there can be problems with siloing, where you have to go talk to five different people about the one project you want to do. And it can make it that much more difficult, I feel like, also for emerging developers who don't know everyone they're supposed to talk to or how do I navigate this space. So what we did in Tulsa is consolidated them and created this one organization focused mm -hmm. on economic and community development. And it is so much more efficient, um, not just for the developers, but internally. So my world is, is housing, housing all the time. Um, it is not an uncommon joke that I probably dream about housing mm -hmm. and I occasionally do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but by being part of Teo, I get to work with other experts in their areas of economic development. Uh, so you have things like a TIF district, uh, tax increment financing. I'll set you up with Spencer Mitchell, our director of economic incentives, okay. and he can give you the most detailed explanation far better than I ever I think could. we're going to change the name of this podcast to Impact Tulsa. Yes. We'll just interview everyone <laughs> in, the, in the Tulsa government or organizations, community development organizations. Absolutely. Um, but we have resources, for example, in downtown, like uh, our downtown development redevelopment fund or DDRF, and also these TIF districts, like I described. So if you want to do affordable housing, let's say in downtown Tulsa, you don't have to navigate five different organizations. You come to Teo and we'll tell you about this is everything we have at our disposal. And then we can also connect you with other organizations who can tell you about what they have. It creates a one-stop shop and a really supportive environment, which I think is really unique. And we've definitely seen the payoff as we've been able to work a lot more with people who, I would say, you can't really come to us with a crazy idea because no matter what it is, we're probably going to get excited about it and say, well, this is who we want you to talk to. <laughs> uh, can you, do you have any crazy ideas that you've been working on lately or have, or have thought about lately? Um, I wouldn't say this one's crazy, but I would say it's one we've, uh, something I've been really enjoying working on and that's been our landlord incentives piece. Um, so a bit of my background, you and I have talked about before at the conferences, yeah. before I came into the housing development space, I was a legal aid attorney for mm -hmm. eight years and I worked with a lot of all my clients experienced some level of housing instability or homelessness. And it was a huge challenge for me to find them alternative housing. So I would have a client who was in a completely unsafe living situation. I could get them out of the lease, but I could not find anywhere else for them to go because they were low income or no one would accept the voucher 
or even quite frankly, a history of eviction or justice involvement, even domestic violence would discourage a landlord from renting to the tenants. Mm -hmm. So you had people just trapped in this cycle of housing instability or accepting completely unsafe conditions. I had a client who had no heat in her home and I could not convince her to leave because she said there's nowhere else to go. So as we worked on our affordable housing strategy in this affordable housing trust fund, um, we created a specific program that provides grants to agencies to provide incentives to landlords who rent to these tenants who might be perceived as a risk and help them to recruit landlords. And that has been so exciting for me to watch, Mm. something that I would have just desperately loved when I was a service provider and be able to see agencies form partnerships with landlords where it's not just, I want you to provide housing, it creates a way that the agency can provide support for the landlord and it builds that trust and it builds that relationship. So I think that an idea when we initially came in of saying, we want to advocate for tenants by creating incentives for landlords. I don't think that people automatically understood why we would take that approach, but I think that we're seeing more this opportunity to create collaboration with landlords on advancing our solutions. That's pretty awesome. Is there, so, I mean, is this a model? I mean, it seems like Tulsa is doing a lot to, you know, get new business, get new tenants, like get new, is that, I mean, why is that? Compared to like, I I don't hear, I've heard about this incentives before I met you, right? You hear about like, Mm -hmm. well, if you move to Tulsa, I think it was during the um, the beginning of COVID, uh, remote workers can move here. We'll give you, I forget what it was, 10K or something like that. So, yep, Tulsa Remote. Tulsa it's Remote. It's a great program. Do you um, want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I will tell you, I think something I've seen, now I grew up in Tulsa, so I, mm. I am a Tulsa native, but I'm also what we call one of the boomerang kids. Uh, we left when we were 18 and went off into the world to start building our careers. And then we all came back in, in usually our thirties, um, to continue to build professional careers or start families. And so we are frequently asked what brought you back. And I often cite that Tulsa has changed so dramatically in the last 15 years. And I think that it is truly a commitment of our community especially like our philanthropic communities, our stakeholders, to just commit to being better mm-hmm. and to do that in a very strategic way. So, for example, we're a resilient city, which means that uh, we put out an equality indicators report and take a really hard look at the data around issues like racial equity. And I think a commitment to doing that, of saying we want to do better, we're going to think critically about what we're doing and how it can keep improving. I think that's where you see a lot of this willingness to innovate. Hmm. And it's something we do at Teo that I talk a lot about the programs that really launched last year. But we've already done policy updates on our Affordable Housing Trust Fund, we're announcing an update on our Gold Star Landlord program. And I think that that fostering of not just new ideas, but the continued growth of that 
is really what makes Tulsa such a cool place to live. Is that relatively new or is that something that Tulsa has been like had like the kind of the, the culture of Tulsa? I think that that's something that has been growing a lot over a long period of time. I wouldn't say it started yesterday. I'd say it's something that I have at least personally observed over the last 15 years. And you see it in some ways that are, are massive. If you look at the opening of like the gathering place, um, which is just such an amazing park and public space, or you look at what's happened in our downtown. I live in the arts district and love, love mm. pointing out things in the arts district to people. Whereas 20 years ago, there was literally one restaurant now, yeah. just tons of restaurants and opportunities. Um, and this is a university town, right? And um, yes, University of Tulsa. Yeah. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. I'm only kidding. I was going to say both my parents and my sister went there as well. So Uh, I think we're Golden Hurricane football every couple years. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. You get the ride. You get the ride of tornado to to work every day. (laughs) Bill self coached the basketball team at TU before he went to KU. So there's there you go. Speaking, of, that's a good transition. Grad, that's so. a good transition, Mike. Why don't you take? <laughs> why don't you take her, walk her through her background here, and how she got to where she is today? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I know we spoke about a couple of different topics, you know, at the conference. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is: Are you more interested in partnering with local developers? Are you interested in developers out of state to come in and kind of provide housing in that sense? How do you vet developers that are? that you ultimately want to partner with? Well, I think we have a strong commitment to expanding our developer capacity in general. And we know that we need to support our local developers and our, especially our emerging developers. And we've been doing partnerships in that way. I think the Affordable Housing Trust Fund has particularly been a resource for providing a pathway for emerging developers who maybe aren't in a position to pursue something like low-income housing tax credits or the National Housing Trust Fund can start expanding their business into that affordable housing space with the support of TEO and the support of those resources. Uh, We've also seen TEDC, which is our local CDFI, has started the Rebuild Tulsa Developer Academy, which is uh, in partnership with the National Development Council, NDC, doing a really great training to help them leverage and and really expand their scope, not just an affordable space, but to become, you know, bigger and better developers. That also takes time. And currently we need 4,500 affordable housing units just to meet the need on our Section 8 Housing Choice Voucher Wait List. The need is current and present. So that doesn't diminish our ongoing commitment to local developers and our ongoing support. But I think there's definitely opportunities for us to partner with developers, particularly to take advantage of things we see uh, at the Oklahoma Housing Finance Agency, for example. Um, There's over a million dollars available in the National Housing Trust Fund from 2021. Um, Having those resources available I think there's tremendous opportunity for an experienced developer to look at that and say, well, given access to that resource, I could definitely produce affordable housing units to meet the large demand in the city of Tulsa limits. Mm. And so that's where we see kind of that dual focus. 
We want to foster the opportunity for growth and entrepreneurship, but at the same time, we also want to work with those who have existing capacity to meet a significant need that we currently have. 4,500 units is a lot. Well, I will just remember what Mike was asking at the conference. Why can't Mike buy those tax credits? Remember? (laughs) (laughs) Right. What if Chris and I wanted to come into Tulsa and develop units? What would be the first step in that process for us? Would it be to talk to you? I know you mentioned you guys are kind of a one-stop shop. We don't have to go to five or six different agencies. We just go right to right to Tao. Um, what would be the first step in that process for a developer out of state to come in that wants to do good for the city? I would say talk to us at Teo first, mm-hmm. um, because one of the first things we can do is guide you through opportunities to take advantage of not just the affordable housing um, opportunities like the affordable housing trust fund, but also where our TIF districts are, where there are particularly opportunities for affordable housing and other types of development in connection with our various strategies, whether it's our plans for economic development or our affordable housing strategy. And then once we start getting a better idea of the type of project you want to do, we can help you to figure out what additional resources you need to bring on board. Um, So for example, we've had a multifamily property developer contact us and say, I am interested in this particular neighborhood in Tulsa. And we can say, well, this is what we have. Uh, This is anything geographic that might be eligible. But now let's connect you with the Oklahoma Housing Finance Agency and make an introduction there, help you to learn about what resources you need to um, take advantage of there. Let us help you connect to connect you with the Tulsa Housing Authority. They have they do such a good job of administering the Section 8 program, but also we have a large number of project-based vouchers available, for example. So I think that that is where Teo becomes the great resource because it's not just about what we have. We're always very happy to make the introduction and to guide you through building those relationships. So again, you're not stuck trying to wonder, well, who else am I supposed to be talking to? Who else can help me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where did you grow up? You grew up in Tulsa? Yes. Did your parents have any sort of, um, I mean, where did the inkling force, it sounds like a really cool job, but it's also a kind of giving back type of role. Mm-hmm. Did that, was there something, was that like something in, in your household growing up? I would say my parents are both very community minded. Um I have grown up watching them always being willing to give, you know, you know the saying, give your time, your talent, and your treasure. And they take all three of those to heart. And that was very much something they instilled in my sister and I. Um, So as I explored what I wanted to do with my career, um, I really made the decision. It it was in when I was about 22 and was figuring out, you know, what is the next stage? (laughs) I'm a young adult what do I want to do? Um, A huge part of it did come down for me to, I wanted to give my time, my talent, and my treasure. And I wanted to make a difference in the community. 
Now, I had no illusions that I was going to save the world mm. or end, you know, create world peace or end world hunger. It was much more I wanted to know that what I had chosen to do, I'd say 40 hours a week, but you and I both know in this type of world, it's, it's usually slightly more than 40 hours a week, um, that it had a positive impact on those around me. And that's really what led me to law and then ultimately into the housing development space that I'm in now. Gotcha. What are, okay. what are those three T's that you mentioned? I've never Time, heard that, but I, talent I like it. and treasure. Love it. Um, I, it is something I, I, I truly love because when I'm not in my official capacity, for example, one of the things I do to volunteer uh, is serve on the board of Up With Trees, which is our uh, urban forestry nonprofit. And that is something I very much enjoy giving my time, my talent, and my treasure to wherever possible. Mike has neither of those. Any no, of those. I'm, I'm <laughs> over three on the team. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no T, no, no, uh, no T's. Um, so then you went, did you go to school having some sort of career in mind? I actually did my undergrad at Northwestern University and I studied journalism. I've heard of it. That's a good one. Yes. Um, and I worked mostly doing freelance, but I graduated in 2008. Oh. What a time to graduate with a yeah. journalism degree. I know. Um, so I was working pretty consistently, but it was not the most stable time to be in journalism. So no. I was or also anything, doing marketing actually. for nonprofit. <laughs> no, yeah. it was not. Um, so I was doing marketing for a nonprofit and uh, usually having another job in just food service or retail because I, I was 22. <laughs> yeah. um, so I started looking around at the people, particularly at the nonprofits, the people I worked with and those I saw having the biggest impact were the attorneys. Mm-hmm. And they were doing things like uh, public interest impact litigation, which I didn't know was a thing until I yeah. met them. And they really introduced me to this idea. I think a lot of times when I talk to people and they say, lawyer, you think, okay, you either are a public defender, a prosecutor, or a divorce attorney. And there's mm-hmm. not necessarily an awareness of this broad range of public interest work. Um, and so once they started telling me about those opportunities, that's what led me to go to law school. And I went to the University of Kansas, so Rock Chalk Jayhawk. There you go. Bill Self. Bill Self. He's Bill following Self. you. Yep. <laughs> followed you from Tulsa. Um, that's cool. That's amazing. And then um, did you, with the intention of getting into kind of a similar type of role or somehow, somehow involved with the nonprofit world, right? I knew I wanted to do something public interest. I will say what I ended up doing has been very surprising. My least two favorite classes in law school were contracts and secured transactions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not like those classes. And I swore I would never do that. Um, instead, I specialized <laughs> yeah. and really put my career around it. <laughs> um, so when I, my first job out of law school, I worked in West Virginia and I was an Equal Justice Works AmeriCorps legal fellow. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I worked with homeless veterans addressing legal barriers to housing, 
It's based out of Martinsburg, West Virginia. So West by Goss, Virginia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it, it really, it was a very rewarding job, but I will also say it was probably one of the toughest things I've ever done. I mean, it was 80 hours a week working with people who just were experiencing such incredible hardship mm. and facing a lot of massive barriers, um, particularly when you deal with some administrative and bureaucratic systems that can be very difficult to navigate. And then I came back to Kansas uh, and I went to Pittsburgh, Kansas, Pittsburgh without the H. That is in uh, Southeast Kansas, it's a town of just over 20,000 people. And I covered about 12 counties in Southeast Kansas for seven years. And my big area specialty is why I joke about contracts and secure transactions was I really focused on consumer issues like debt defense, the debt buying industry, uh, medical debt collection. And that led a lot into housing issues. I worked a lot with tenants who were forced to make the choice between do I pay this medical bill? Yeah, they're threatening. Unfortunately, we did have some issues around particularly the criminalization of medical debt where debt collectors would use the threats of bench warrants um, to to get people to pay. So they Excuse the least. It, it was a very tough situation. But I'd watch them trying to choose between rent and grocery bills and medical debt, taking out payday loans to make ends meet, and this incredibly unstable existence, all centered around, were they going to be able to stay housed through the end of the month? Mike, did you have to do that when you got your teeth whitened for your wedding? <laughs> that, that, that is one C that I have, though. <laughs> teeth. Who knows how long it'll last for teeth <laughs> well that's sorry to make really light of it. Got, oh no this uh, this is what got me interested in housing though um and where i started to think more critically about what i wanted to do because as much as i loved my job and really did love my clients um at the at a certain point you realize you're filing the same lawsuit and yeah. you're not changing how the system treats the people you're serving, which led me to start thinking, can I do more? <laughs> are, th are there bigger things I could do that could change it so that no one else has to file the lawsuit I filed today? And that's where Tulsa called me home. <laughs> yeah, how'd that happen? <laughs> well, my parents are still here and um, I was visiting them more and more. <laughs> I was only two hours from Tulsa. And I oh, okay. really loved the city and I really loved coming back. Um, and I started looking at all the tremendous things that were happening, you know, in, in the nonprofit community, particularly around things like housing and uh, serving those who are experiencing housing instability. I thought there's, there's got to be some opportunities here. Um, someone's got to be able to to use someone like me with a law degree. There's gotta be someone. Yeah. Um, so I spent several months just calling people. Um, and I will say something I love about Tulsa is it is a relationship community 
but it is a relationship community where someone is always happy to make an introduction. I don't think that's true everywhere. Um, so I was fortunate that where I would talk to one person and they would be willing to introduce me to three more people. And so ultimately a position opened up at the mayor's office as the housing coordinator. Mm. And my first day was on March 16th of 2020. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Sounds like the second or third week of the pandemic, right? It was the first Officially. day. Oh, wow. I made it three hours into orientation before they sent us home. That's and crazy. You'll never forget <laughs> So I had a very it. dramatic re-entry into Tulsa. <laughs> and you're like, I never want to go back into office again. But you're back. <laughs> I am back in the office. I I will say I live five minutes from my office, but I do love coming in because I love seeing my coworkers. Yeah, yeah. Time with them. Mike's in our New York office every almost every day. Yeah. I mean, it's coming back. It's coming back slowly but surely. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna transition to what we like to call the hot seat. Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities reduce turnover and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. Dot com k k r e s e t dot com. Okay. Ooh, it's getting hot. Here. <laughs> um. All right. Question number one. What uh, is your most memorable deal? My most memorable deal. Or yep. like trans anything you put the you know, put together for Tulsa. I think that it would be the first development loan we announced from the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Uh, it was to HBSY, a local Black-owned business. He had five single-family homes that he had developed over the previous year in North Tulsa. And we lent him $187,000, which is comparatively such a small amount when you mm. look at a lot of deals. But with those funds, he is going to be able to purchase and rehabilitate 10 more single-family homes in North Tulsa. So... I was so excited that this was the first loan we got to announce because it showed how we could create a, a new resource because the Affordable Housing Trust Fund only launched in February of 2021 oh, wow. um, to help a local emerging developer who live, you know, lives, works, plays in his neighborhood and do it to create a wonderful infill project to support affordable housing. So that one has just been so incredibly exciting. That's awesome. Question number two. Do you have advice for anyone looking to to break into your field or someone starting out at the, at the beginning of your field who's 
wants to navigate and become the next Kristen Mann. Uh, as we talked about, I had a bit of a interesting path here. I don't think anyone starts at legal aid with the intention of I will next go into economic development. Yeah. Um, but that was such an incredibly valuable time for me and learning experience because I feel like I know the community that ultimately we are serving. And it allows me to approach things sometimes in a different way and perceive challenges that someone who had never worked with someone experiencing poverty or housing stability might anticipate. So I think that if you are wanting to work with a population that experiences housing instability and homelessness, even if it's not in a professional capacity, find ways to volunteer or engage with that community one-to-one. I yeah. think it is tremendously valuable in helping to cultivate not just understanding, but also empathy um, that you can't always get when you're working out that 30 page contract. You forget, you can easily forget that there are people at the end of that agreement. So it's, yeah, it's good like, to have it's that. like your big why, you know, the why yes. is bigger. I love that idea of connecting with the community that you're working with. Um, question number three, Michael. So I, I think this question is a little redundant because it seems like in everything Kristen does, you're trying to make an impact, right? But what, what, yes. how do you feel, you're, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, your job, like what do you feel the biggest impact you're making it is? Is it the people? Is it, is it just trying to provide housing for all? Um, talk a little bit about the impact you're making on an everyday basis in your city. I think one of the most impactful things that we are doing is how we are approaching things through an interconnected strategy. And I think it allows us, be, I often explain what we're doing, particularly with things like our trust fund, is you have to look at it almost as a river and people have fallen into the river. So you create the resources like rental assistance and landlord incentives to fish them out. But if we don't have housing to put them into, they keep falling back in the river. All right, well, now they're out of the river. So let's create home buyer assistance opportunities now that they're not cost burdened. So they can create opportunities for intergenerational wealth building. So I think our impact is that we haven't just said, well, we're going to do this one thing. We're going to help people just with rental assistance or just with housing development. It is recognizing that you have to have each little bit and you have to work with a lot of partners because <laughs> no one person could do all of those things. We have such a tremendous community of partners who uh, it, it's, it's wonderful to see everything that they do. And I think that that strategy and that interconnectedness is what ultimately leads to us having an impact in the city. It's like a puzzle, right? You can't yes. finish the puzzle without completing every piece. <laughs> Absolutely. And we are, you know, executive search professionals, recruiters, headhunters. Um, mm -hmm. So we would be remiss to ask without asking, what do you look for when you're hiring people? That's a very good question. Um, We're very good 
Questioner, <laughs> questioners. Um, I would say, I've mentioned this before. One of the things that I, I often think can be a challenge in this field is things can sometimes seem a bit hopeless. I think anyone who works with large issues like housing stability and homelessness um, can look out and say, but did I make an impact today? And I say this coming from a legal aid world as well. And the people I knew who were going to thrive and continue to have an impact long-term, who really had a resiliency, had an ability to have um, a higher understanding, if that makes sense, that it wasn't just this one problem. It wasn't even just the next problem, that it was going to be part of long-term step-by-step-by-step that would lead to gradual change. So if you're someone who needs that immediate gratification (laughs) and that immediate result, and it needs to be dramatic where I'm going to look out and, you know, I will never see uh, another homeless encampment again on my walk home. This is probably not the path for you. (laughs) But if you're willing to see the difference that each gradual step takes and celebrate it along the way, knowing you're eventually going to get where you need to go, you can do this work. So don't be a recruiter. The recruiter people need immediate gratification. So that's why we're in this role. <laughs> we like quick turnarounds. Uh, well, Kristen, it is great seeing you. And thank you for sharing that with us. Are you going to be at the conference again this year? Or any other conferences we can meet yet between now and November? Well, uh, if you'd like to come to Oklahoma, I will Maybe. absolutely be at the Oklahoma Coalition for Affordable Housing's annual conference in September in Midland City. Um, and then, yes, I plan, of course, on attending the Affordable Housing Finance Conference again. If we come to Oklahoma, or when we come to Oklahoma, can we be treated like kings? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you can come visit us downtown, and I can tell you all, I, I love t- showing people downtown and talking to them about it. Can we throw your name around at different places, like restaurants and stuff? I'm not sure how far it'll get you. (laughs) (laughs) She's not the mayor yet, Chris. You got to give her a couple years.